Just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun And I said I didn't like the way he got things done Sleeping on the job are falling on my head they keep falling but there's one thing I know hey everybody welcome back to the hustle it's John Lamoureux all right I'm really excited for this week's guest it is the great BJ Thomas now did you guys know that Billboard magazine counts BJ as one of the top 50 most played artists of the modern era isn't that incredible? I wouldn't have guessed that. So BJ's career goes back well over 50 years, and he's had probably 15 or so top 40 pop hits, several more if you count like the Christian charts and the country charts. And these are hits that everyone knows, like Hooked on a Feeling and Hey, Won't You Play Another Somebody Done Somebody Wrong song. And then, of course, this one right here, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, which was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid back in 1969. I mean, this song is, this is practically a standard at this point, isn't it? I think sometimes, and I know that I was guilty of this, which, is why, which was why I sought him out specifically, I think we forget how many great songs that he has sung and that are so ubiquitous in our lives. I mean, the greatest songwriters of all time, Burt Bacharach, Hal David, Jimmy Webb, these people go to B.J. Thomas to sing their music. Isn't that incredible? So I just thought it would be really interesting to hear B.J.'s story. And we get into the ups and downs. We get into his battle with alcoholism. Uh, we get him, we hear, you know, kind of what motivated him to sort of flip-flop between genres. He actually put out a, an album back in 2013 called The Living Room Sessions, which is him kind of redoing some of his hits, but with the help of, you know, some other big name stars and artists. Anyway, I really wanted to hear the B.J. Thomas story. I really like him a lot. He kick, We kick off this conversation with him say, to explaining how he was chosen to sing Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. I hope you enjoy this. He called me from his home in Texas. Thank you, B.J., for doing this with me. You're a name... Um... Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm unique this way. So I'm, I'm 45 almost. So I, um, you know, I was really young or even not quite born when you were really at the height of having hit after hit after hit. And so what ended up happening was that B.J. Thomas became this name that as I got older, I would see associated with things that I loved but hadn't always pieced together that the same guy was doing all of these things, you know? Right. So I was like, oh, I love that song. I didn't realize that was also B.J. Thomas. And uh -huh. that would just keep happening over and over and over again. And so as I got older and my taste in music broadened and everything, I started to pay really close attention to what you were doing because I was piecing together that everything you're, you do, I tend to really right. like, you know. But I, had, yeah. I, was, you know, I, was, I was too young to kind of grow up with you. So I didn't have gotcha. the experience in real time. I came to it later. Yeah. Um, now, having said that, I want to hear, I mean, let's hear the Butch Cassidy story for Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. How did that <laughs> happen to you? Well, you know, uh, uh, what you, what the experience you just described, uh, uh, you know, of course, happened to me and probably it happens to 
everyone uh, is who goes into music in, in, in some way or another. I I, of course, I loved uh, Frank Sinatra, and Chuck Berry, Little Richard, these guys when I mm-hmm. first started getting into music, and then I I happened to meet Bobby Bobby Bland, Bobby Blue Bland. Oh yeah. When I was thirteen, uh, I went to the, to the back door of where he was appearing, and uh, you know, some, for some reason they let me in, and mm. and I met him, and so you know, those are people that I went back and and studied. Uh, yeah. you know, I found that I found all this, and I had a 150 Sinatra albums at one time. Whoa! When I was when I was back in my back in my 30s, because mm-hmm. I, I I loved those guys, and I and I I, I kind of went to school on what they what they were doing and the way they were doing it, uh, especially uh, Mr. Bland and uh, Jackie Wilson and all those guys yeah. that I, lo- I locked into when Good I was one. about 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, all that led me to uh, to Memphis, and I recorded. I just had the eyes of a New York woman uh, that I recorded mm-hmm. in Memphis in '68, uh, I guess. Then I recorded "Hooked on a Feeling," and uh, "Hooked on a Feeling" was a uh, just a big record of mine, and, and, sure and one of the most popular uh, songs that I do in my live live performance. But it kind of put me in the in the, Mr. Backrack back of Mr. Backrack's uh, mind, Burt Backrack, mm-hmm. and I had we had actually right after "Hooked on a Feeling," uh, the the Florence Greenberg, the the lady that owns Scepter Records uh, in uh, in New York, and they were they were a great independent uh, label. They had Twist and Shout, Louis Louis. They had Dion Warwick. Uh, nice. You know they were they were huge. Chuck uh, Chuck Jackson, and you know and then they then they had me. And when I when I yeah. first signed with them, uh, I think it was widely believed in in some areas that I was an after African American. And yeah. <laughs> uh, from just from the sound of, of my my first hit, and uh-huh. and uh, so they were drawn to that, and uh, also also Steve Tyrell, uh, who is a, chi- a childhood buddy of mine, and we're just like brothers, and we grew up together, and we're in competing bands, and 
and what have you. Uh, he he eventually was working with Scepter Records, and he got them to sign me when I had a I had I'm so lonesome I could cry, which was a number one record in yeah. Houston in Houston at first, and he got them to sign me, and it was my first uh, million That's seller, and went on to be good. So just just from the get go, they wanted. Uh, you know, they just thought that uh, Burt Bacharach and a Hal David song would be perfect for me, and so they started working working on that. And then after I had hooked on a feeling, they asked me to move to New York, uh, asked Gloria, Gloria and I to move move up to New York, and uh, Gloria and I had just gotten married. And so, you know, um, she said, you know, if you uh, Florence said, if, if you'll move up, to New York, I think I can get you a session and a song with uh, with Burt Backright, and uh, so you know that sounded good. So that mm-hmm. sounded right. So although I was loving Memphis, and in fact I just talked to Reggie Young on the telephone about thirty uh, minutes ago, who was the guitar right. guitar player and played the uh, sitar on Hooked on a Feeling, and yeah. you know they they cut a lot of hits, the American Studio Group and Chips Moment. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I, I really was, of course, very aware of uh, Burt Bacharach, and uh, mm-hmm. so we so we did. We moved up to Manhattan, and I began to sporadically uh, uh, see Mr. Bacharach and and work on this song and that song, and so I was kind of just in his mind, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had Steve pushing me too. Steve Tyrell was encouraging him to record me, but. Nothing was really happening uh, for a while, but uh, then when they they wrote the song "Raindrops Keep Falling," Hal came up with those lyrics, and uh, and uh, it obviously was not a Dion Warwick song, right? And and uh, with Steve's urging, uh, he he picked me to do it. So I I flew, and I had Incredible. right before I flew out there, I had been doing a three week. One nighters of one nighters in the Midwest, and man, I was worn out. I bet. When I was flew out there, and as it turned out, I had an acute case of uh, laryngitis. Oh! I, I went to a doctor the day before we were to rehearse, and he he told me he said, you know, BJ, I don't. Want, uh, he said this is the worst throat I've ever seen, and he said I don't oh, want man. you to even I don't want you to even speak for two weeks. <laughs> so I said, hey, man, I said, hey, Doc. Guess what? Please. Can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I said, you know, I've got rehearsal today, and yeah. I've got a session tomorrow with the, uh, for the song by, you know, Backrack and David in a Paul Newman movie. So, I'm, you know, yeah. and so he helped me, and, you know, he, uh, he helped me as much as he could. And uh, and I went out to re- the rehearsal with, with Bert, and, of course, he could tell right away that uh, my throat was messed up and and, yeah. uh, and uh, you know it was a kind of situation before I after the doctor diagnosed that and I went back to the hotel and I, I talked to Gloria about it and, you know it was it was a kind of situation where it wasn't it wasn't like I was going to call in sick you know yeah, it, was, yeah. it wasn't like I wasn't going to show up I was going to show right. up and yeah. and if Backrack went, man, you you know you can't sing a lick, and he mm-hmm. kicked me out or whatever. It was so be it. But it, it wasn't like I was not going to be there. So anyway, I I went out, and uh, it was a great experience just yeah. seeing him in his house. And he was married to Angie Dickinson at that time, and and of course she was a, that. she was a beautiful person, and we're mm-hmm. you know we're still 
we're still friends. And Good. As well, I'm, I, I just performed with Bert about uh, oh two or three years ago. He just turned eighty-eight. Yeah. And I think he's I think wow. he's ninety. I think he's ninety this year, and he still is brilliant. He's still yeah. handsome, charming. May test out that piano, and when he starts playing that back rack thing, I mean it's it's incredible. That's amazing. But anyway, so it's the we, version we, of I went out, uh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was okay. going to ask you the version that we've heard then a million times. Is that you singing with? A throat problem? No. Well, here's here's I went in for the. uh, Of course, we're doing the raindrops to the to the bicycle scene. Uh We're in the studio and they've got a big screen, and all of the the all of 20th Century Fox people there and the whole thing, and uh, you know I didn't say a word, Uh, Mm -hmm. but I went in and they only had three musicians: had a guitar player, a banjo player, and a stand-up bass player, Ray Brown. The legendary stand-up bass player, mm-hmm. and it was a very simple uh, version of Raindrops with the, you know, not the elaborate ending, and it was a very simple thing that sounded more, uh, uh, more Western, if yeah. if you will. So I sang yeah. it down. I got through it about five times, and uh, one of one of the the, the movie people, uh, 20th Century Fox guy, came up and said, "Hey," he said. Uh, uh, man, that's a good that's a good idea, BJ. And I and I said, pardon me. And he said, you know, you're you're trying to sound like maybe it's Paul Paul singing. Oh. You know? And I went, uh, yeah, yeah, I went, yeah, that's it. That's exactly it, right? Whatever and, you say. And, and you know, it wasn't like it was almost it was almost like it was meant to be that way because uh, the the kind of scratchy vocal and the way it came yeah. off, of course. Uh, you know, came off just just perfectly for that movie, and of course they won the Academy Award. Burt won right. for for uh, Raindrops and and won for the score, and Hal yeah. won won an Academy Award for the thing. But then uh, and we discussed, you know, we, he was happy with it because the phrasing was right and the feel was was great. Uh, but we recorded re-recorded it with a with a big orchestra at the CBS studios on Broadway uh, in New York City about six weeks later. Okay. And and that version came out in October of 69 and just, uh, you know, no one, no one would play it. Um, really? No, no, nobody would play it. In fact, the WABC in New York said, no, we're not going to play that because the BJ is singing a wrong note in the first verse. Really? So, so so Florence Greenberg said to the radio guys, she said, oh, well, I guess Mr. Ba- Burt Bacharach missed that, you know. So anyway, uh-huh. they, they were giving us a hard time about it. But when the movie came out, it was a Christmas release in 69. When the movie came out, the song just busted wide open. And, yeah. And sold probably average to 100,000 records sold for about three years, you know. That's so, incredible. It was a huge Christmas uh, movie, and the, yeah. and the and the record uh, Raindrops was the first number one record of the of the seventies. That's was number one. So a be- just a beautiful experience, and uh, yeah, a great memory for me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now I think I heard somewhere that even though you were recording this song for the movie, Robert Redford was not a fan of putting this song in the movie. Yes, uh, you know, of course, I I've never met uh, Mr. Redford. Uh, but I understand that he, you know, just basically refused to have this what he called pop song in his mm. art art film. 
right to, you know to how they were doing it. it was kind of different the soundtrack especially the score was different because it was uh done vocally and not with a bunch of strings or or instruments of any kind except mm-hmm. for the bicycle scene um so it really was um, uh, i guess a, an art film to them i mean of course it was just a western to to me right and mm-hmm. to most people but uh he was dead set against it, but he was convinced. I don't know exactly how. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe after he heard the recording, uh, he he changed his mind. But it, of course, it did end up then end up in the movie. And I and I think uh, it, um, uh, you, you know, not to make too big a deal out of it because they had a lot of great film songs uh, in the Bond movies and whatever Alfie, sure. lots of things. But I think that the the raindrops. Um, it was done in such a way that uh, did it make any sense, or or, or did it make sense? And uh, and ultimately, mm-hmm. ultimately, it did it did make sense, but it did open up a an area where where you could do uh, you could make a, a musical s- statement, maybe yeah. in, an, in an unusual place, kind of. That's a really now, now you can hardly even see a movie that doesn't have like a major song in it somewhere. Yeah. You know? That's a very uh, interesting point because I, I was thinking that too. I mean, I, the, it's not like the song tells the story of the movie or anything. It's not no. it's almost sort of an odd fix, yeah. and yet it works. Yeah, it makes and, you kind um, of tilt your head and go, "What?" But you know, yeah. the song, the song to me is a, is um, is a a very um, worldwide. It makes a worldwide statement. You know, the rain, the rain falls. Uh, on on everybody, but you know, at some time or another, and of course, the rain can be can be a metaphor for a lot of things. But yeah. as as long as you're free, uh, not, you know, you don't have yeah. you don't have that many worries, you know. So we, it, it really relates to to uh, America, you know, America, mm-hmm. the United States, and so it makes a. Um, I, th- I had many discussions with Hal David about about that song. And uh, uh, it it just he kind of just um, he he wrote in a very simple fashion, but uh, but made huge statements. And he he just kind of in in his own way with the lyrics uh, really said a lot about, yeah. about about life and about uh, and about Butch and Etta true. and uh, and Sundance because you know okay the rain is you know they're running uh, uh, they're yeah. they're trying to stay out of prison or whatever Satan from being killed but you know at this moment we're free we're riding a bicycle we're all right you know that's a good point (laughs) i mean have you ever that's more than you wanted to know about that no that's exactly what i wanted to know i wanted to know the story of it and how it affected your life um have you ever considered now you've had a ton of other hits so it's not like this one is you know you needed this one but i would probably stand as maybe the biggest feather in your cap i guess yeah, I mean, it's by, yeah, it's by far my biggest selling record. I mean, it's sold okay. well over, well over ten, twelve million copies, and uh, incredible. You know, a lot of when you go through my catalog, uh, a lot of times you don't see the gold uh, uh, stamp on, on my songs because uh, record companies, and I don't want to, I want to say this delicately. Mm-hmm. Sometimes record companies' accounting uh, uh, would would not be exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, up to par, and yeah. and uh, when they were in certain uh, dire financial situations, some uh, they would not register 
mm. you know, you have to register the song with the RIAA, and yeah. then they keep track of it, and then they give you the gold record. But if you don't register it, uh, I think you go back and, and look at Motown, and, and they, you know, yeah. virtually none of those guys had a gold record because uh, yeah. their accounting was unique, you know. But unique, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. it's the biggest record I ever had. You know, rain. Uh, you know. Hooks was probably around four or five million, and Lonesome was a couple of million, and uh, mm-hmm. just can't help believing somebody done somebody wrong song and those things, rock and roll lullaby. They they were they were big for me, and uh, sure. boy, I tell you, I still love to love to sing them all. You know, all us guys, yeah. we love to we love to sing our songs. You know? Good. I wondered how different your life might have been had Steve Tyrell not put in a good word for you to sing that song. At that time. Oh, oh, huge! He was a huge influence there, and uh, you know he, for a period of time, was uh, of course he promoted my records and became the A and R director for Scepter, and he uh, he eventually uh, was my manager for a number mm-hmm. of years, and he was uh, really important in my career. And as a matter of fact, we are going uh, into the studio. Uh, Probably within the next couple of months, and we're going to do an album together, Steve and I. Great, great. We're going to we're going to do a Burt Bacharach uh, uh, music album, so we're oh, really perfect. we're really excited about doing that. Yeah, um, that is you know, great. I after I had after I had wrong song, uh, I would and I had some personal problems mm-hmm. that were that were really. Uh, beginning to be too much for me. Uh, my wife and I, we sat down and we had a beautiful little daughter and uh, we sat down and we virtually, we we said we've had it and we retired. Yeah. And not uh, from that, I started working like maybe, you know, six or eight, ten shows a year. Really? Uh, and and before I had, you know, out of nowhere, I, I recorded this gospel album. There's a, there's a company here in, in Texas that asked me to do it. Living here is too But if they say that I would have to choose between the two I'd go home Going home Where I belong as no surprise that if you look and see that homesick feeling in my eyes I'm going Not for long. When I'm 
and it became the first platinum album in gospel music history. So all of a, all of a sudden, I was I was back on the road in a in a fairly high high, high quality, but not not in a pop sense. And uh, yeah, so I was still there, and ever ever since then, I I've just kept working and yeah, and you know, it's incredible. You hate to give up, you know. It's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, we had the first four platinum albums uh, in that genre, and then basically, I, I, you know, I I don't really, uh, I don't really work in that genre anymore. But I still sing, sing the songs. But we kind of got back in, and we and we still we still do a pretty good uh, schedule. Yeah, that was something I wanted to ask you about too, because I read. Now, of course, this is on Wikipedia, so who knows? But yeah, um, around the mid seventies, (laughs) you after having issues with drugs and alcohol, became a Christian, and that's what sort of opened the door to this new, you know. There's been so many different yeah. paths within your career, you know, the country yeah. path, the R&B, the pop, the gospel. This one yeah. added another one to that list. Is that well, truly what it, happened? It, well, yeah, it, well, it did. Uh, you know, of course, I always did uh, sing gospel songs on the B-side of Somebody Done Somebody Wrong was a, a song called Dr. God. Been so long since I've had a checkup. Can you squeeze me in today? Dr. God, oh, Dr. God. I know there's a long line waiting. Emergency situation. And I need you, Dr. God. Yeah, so I was always in that in that genre, but my life was, uh, you know, in ruins. Really, I do have faith in 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 what Jesus said and the example He set with His with His life. Yeah, uh, I, I think it shows us what we can we can all do. But I'm I'm not a I'm not a religious person. Okay, in, uh, at at all really. But I still sing that music, and uh, uh, and I and I love the I love the music. I, I just never could get in tune with the religious precepts. Yeah. So, but but uh, you know I have a faith that that, that I live. Yeah. But that just kind of came out of nowhere. We had no idea, you know, what, what was that was going to happen, and uh, and I'm so glad it did happen because I think and I think I opened the door to uh, for a lot of guys to to do to do that music and. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know we kind of kind of with the first guy I, I think right just before Dylan kind of did his Christian thing yeah it was about the same thing and I I think uh, you know the door opened a little bit but for just regular people you know just pop people sure. or country people to do uh, to do gospel things I mean I think well, right as we speak uh, Snoop Dogg has a number one gospel album so. Really? We've, come a, we've come a long way, though. That's amazing. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Something I'm really curious about is sort of um, we talk a lot about on here are the transitions in people's lives when they start to go from the struggling musician to the person who's having success. And yeah. you obviously had that originally with the cover of the Hank Williams song, uh, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. How did your life change at that moment when you had been, you know, singing and trying to make your way for a mm. while and nothing really hitting quite that that level, yeah. then suddenly it does. How Absolutely. did your life change? Absolutely. Because we, I, you know, I, I was a singer with a band called The Triumphs. Mm-hmm. It was eight guys, and, uh, and uh, you know, we all talked about having hit records. In the western part of Texas, 19 miles from San there's a place I go each summer when I get the But, you know, we never really expected to to have a hit record, but we were going to give it our best shot. But uh, it was a great education for all of us, but especially me, because I I learned how to sing all, uh, all kinds of different songs. You know, we just followed, when we first started, we just did the top 40 charts. So there was every genre there. So it never has been, uh, I've never have been choosing this or that. I've, it's just been a natural natural thing for me yeah. and uh and uh, we we were a huge r&b band and we we did the did the whole thing so i kind of learned how to it, you know it takes a long long while to to get up in front of a a, a great number of people there yeah. you have to you have to really deal with that and learn how to do it but uh being with the band helped me uh you know kind of have my thing together and uh, when we did Lonesome, uh, my buddy and I went to, uh, my buddy was a songwriter, but we went to see the Hank Williams story, uh, you know, way back, the, the original one in the, in the 60s, probably was 63, 64. Okay. And, uh, and so I, uh, I started doing I'm So Lonesome because I really liked the way it sounded in that movie and my dad's. You know, favorite guy was Hank Williams, and and uh, I had seen Hank Williams sing that song uh, when I was about eight years old, uh, when the Grand Ole Opry came through. So, anyway, I did that did that song and put it on the B side of what what our little record was that came out locally on a local label, and uh, uh, the I took it down to the, the the top forty station, Bob White and Joe Ford, and uh, I played it. Played them the A side, and they said, you know, B, they uh, this time uh, 
She said, I don't think we can play this, but, you know, but while you're here, let's hear the B-side. So he turned it over, and it was I'm So Lonesome, and he, he loved it. He sounds too good to find The midnight train is wide and low And I'm so lonesome I could cry Did you ever see A night so long When time goes They took it straight into the uh, uh, control booth, and the guy played it, and in three weeks, it was number one. And during that time, Steve had uh, had to help break Dionne Warwick's first record, Don't Make Me Over, and Scepter, mm. Scepter the label she was on, had flown him to New York. And he and uh, at, when my song went number one, just about when he was in New York, and he and he was very influential in getting him to sign me and and that's how I started. You know, my first gig my first gig out of Houston was uh they booked me with James Brown. I went out and toured yeah. with James Brown. Yeah. He probably and, thought uh, you were a black guy, right? Yeah, yeah they did. And uh and for for its time it was a lot more R and B than than country, you know, but sure. uh, yeah. uh but I went out and toured toured with Mr. Brown and he was a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, I mean, you know he, we've all, uh, you know, uh, done this and that, but uh, on the whole, he was a very, a very good yeah. man with good great character. He loved, you know, he so took to, uh, to, to, you know, me and my guys when we showed up at that first sound check. I mean, you know, we were, you know, we looked like we worked at the grocery store, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. And, and he, but he, he took, took, he really. I I, you know, I hesitate to say it, but I I I feel like he really liked me. He liked me, That's and crazy. he kind of he kind of took me under his wing. You can see that we didn't really know what we were doing, and uh, and he really he really helped me and taught me a lot uh, for the short time I was on tour with him. And then, of course, in my next step was with the with Dick Clark, and uh, mm-hmm. and that was, I toured with Mr. Clark a couple of times. And uh, crazy, just what's just Dick that, Clark like? I've heard. Mostly oh, good things from the people I've yeah, met. Yeah, yeah, you know, he was a uh, he was a a good guy. He had a he had a beautiful side. Char- he was very charming, and everybody knows what a beautiful, handsome guy mm-hmm. he was, and how well spoken. And he was, you know, he was just the all time great as far as that that kind of thing thing go- goes. But uh, but he was a, a very astute and uh, and a hard uh, businessman. That's what I've heard, and, yeah. And that's the only that's the only thing that 
that he might ruffle a feather here and there is, is he knew how to do business and he demanded that uh, yeah. that you do it that you do it right. I never had any uh, run-ins with him, and uh, you know on that level, he uh, when I went out with the Dick Clark every week um, uh, that tour every week, Dick would uh, Dick would come in and. Uh, and you'd like meet him in his hotel room or whatever. To he'd tell you, mm-hmm. you came up and he would, and he would pay you. And he was a great guy. And he was good, you know. And uh, it's, he, it was it was pretty cool to get, good. you know, get you get your get your money from uh, from Dick Clark. But he, yeah, he was a great guy with me, you know, for thirty thirty years, forty years, good. and and he's he's really missed. He's missed. Good. Okay, now I got to ask you, how did it feel when? You uh, you obviously have this huge hit with Hooked on a Feeling, and then what is it about ten years later, the Blue Suede version comes out with the Uga Chaka, totally yeah. different song. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Girl, you just don't realize what you do to me when you hold me in your arms so tight you let me know everything's all right How did you, and granted, you didn't write that song, but I'm curious if you felt a sense of ownership of it, that when you heard that new version, how did you, what did you think? Did you like it? Did you think it was nuts? What did you well, think about that? Let me let me preface how <laughs> uh, this, what I'm going to say with, with the fact that it was obviously a great production. Mm-hmm. It was a great idea to do the Uga Chugga thing, which was taken from a, uh, from a, a Johnny Preston record ca- uh, called Running Bear. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, and so, it, and and then uh, you know the guys sang pretty good, uh, and it it was a great production, and and I totally totally think it was a great it was a great record. But yeah. my my problem is, uh, you know, I, I I've gone out of the way not to cover people. Okay, I know. Mm-hmm. You know, Hank Williams was gone, and, uh, you know, I did Don't Worry Baby in 77, a Beach Boys song. Well, it's been building up inside of me for, oh, I don't know how long. 
problem I had with the Blue Sweet thing and the people that, that produced it was that they had covered uh, a couple, a few of my other records also. Oh, okay. This same, this same group of people in Europe. And uh, I, and it was a little soon. You know, you, you said yeah. 10 years, but it was more like three years. Oh, was it really? And oh, I, just, I just, my time, you know, I, know, I just didn't. I, I I didn't dig it, but you know it, it didn't keep mm-hmm. it didn't keep me awake at night. And I I I don't have a you know an a, an axe to grind other than they covered a, a lot of my music, and I uh, in the long run I didn't really appreciate that. But that yeah. was a great record, and uh, okay. you know if if I met them now I would, I'd shake their hands, no no problem. You know, so <laughs> good. Well, it, good. It, it helped us keep that song alive. If nothing else, otherwise, you yeah. know, it might have been a a hit song for you that may have got lost to time, you know. But instead, yeah. it it takes on a whole new life. It keeps it present in the minds of music lovers. Yeah, you can perform yeah. that song, and people are more interested yeah. and happy to hear it than they might have been otherwise. I think you know? what made I think what made my version and and helped it ultimately be, uh, you know, sell a million copies and and do all the good things. Was that 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 sitar mm-hmm. uh, intro and instrumental uh, by Reggie Young was just one of the classic uh, guitar rides of all time. Yeah, and, uh, it is. Stays on my mind 
had a lot of things going going for it. So yeah. just a, you know, really a really simple but really effective effective song. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, now you've mentioned covers and songwriters and stuff like that. You know, when you look over so many of your hits, uh, two things come to mind. Number one is that most of them are written by some of the greatest songwriters of all time. You know, but Absolutely, secondly, yeah. they weren't. <laughs> they aren't necessarily written by you. And I no. wonder if that's um, if that is a unique. Because we try to kind of cover sensitively the business side of things on here. How, you know, how do people, in a situation like yours, yeah. your biggest hits were written by other people. Do you, I imagine you still get the benefit from that in the sense that people come to see you live in concert to sing those songs. But yeah. could, could you just sit yeah. back and live off royalties from your Well, your you, you know, now we get performance royalties. Okay, uh, yeah. Also, and, 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 uh, uh, you, you know that, uh, that that probably is one of my uh, is my major shortcoming is I wasn't mm. I wasn't the writer I should have been although I write a lot of songs yeah I have I have songs you know I'm one of those guys I write songs but I don't I don't play them for anybody so mm. I have a I have a, a kind of an awesome uh, uh, feeling about songwriters and uh, you know it's something I probably need to overcome at, at, at some time but what we used to do uh before you know when i was with the triumphs and we had cut that first hit of course we did we made the decision and 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 got that song together as a group and when i went to memphis i would always uh before i recorded i would sit down with all the writers and uh, a couple of them i grew up with in houston who are great friends of mine and we would sit and we would talk about what kind of songs we wanted and and uh, how how everybody was feeling, just joking around, doing that kind of thing. And I know that down through the years, I have um, kind of missed a lot of songwriting credits because a lot of times, and and a, and a couple of times, they would write songs that would verbatim of what what I was yeah. telling them and how we were talking. But okay. uh, that's not taking anything away from them but what you said was key i think my success uh direct a big part of it was i worked with some of the all-time greatest songwriters uh, that ever that ever lived you know uh yeah. back rack hal david and uh uh barry mann and cynthia Weil. i mean they're, they're, the, they're the best oh man the they're unreal the mark mark james you know yeah. uh so I've been very fortunate that I, w I was always in some good situations. No kidding. Uh, with great writers, and that 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 goes goes back to Steve Tyrell too, and how how yeah. he put me in that that situation. Yeah, I think that says a lot about you. That the cream of the crop in terms of songwriters like Man and Wild and uh, Backrack and David and everybody want to work with B.J. Thomas. They want well, you interpreting yeah. their songs. That's a huge yeah. compliment to you. Well, you know, it, it really, it really is. I mean, they would, uh, they, uh, they wrote "Just Can't Help." I just can't help believing.
They didn't really even know me that well, uh, but Steve had asked them. They sat down and wrote something, especially with me in mind, and sent it to me. And it just fit like a like a hand Crazy. in a glove, you know. So yeah. beautiful. And they, uh, I just so loved them, and they wrote some great, great songs. They did. They did. Um, I want to hear a couple of your stories. Now, I heard an interview <laughs> with you from a few years ago, talking about the night of the Oscars. You met John Wayne. Tell us about yeah. John Wayne. <laughs> well, of course, I, w- I wasn't, his, you know, I wasn't his best friend or anything. Right, right. We just they they after after the uh, Academy Awards, they have a a, a big beautiful dinner uh, called the Governor's Ball, and uh, uh, all the presenters and actors and uh, and winners they go, and so uh-huh. we went and we were at a table with uh, Mr. Bacharach and Angie. Angie Dickinson and of course my wife Gloria and I, my brother and Steve Tyrell, and also at the table was Dennis Hopper at our, at our table. So we had a really good. Sorry about that. Uh, we had a really good um, uh, table, good. and we just said at one at one point uh, my brother uh, Steve said, "Hey, let's go, let's go looking look looking around." And so we just took a walk around the uh, uh-huh. entire ballroom and through there and. And saw all the great actors, you know, uh, Elizabeth Taylor went over and, and uh, you know, we were just taking a good look at everybody. And we went by, um, uh, we, John Wayne had won an Oscar that night, I believe, for right. True Grit, for True Grit right. because Glenn, the True Grit, the song was up for, was competing with us for the Oscar. And uh, we went over and then John Wayne was eating, um, you know, he happened to be, uh, when we walked over, it, we happened to, he happened to be eating a little dish of sherbet, and <laughs> and, and uh, the photographers rushed up to take his picture. And man, he said, in no uncertain terms, "Do not take my picture eating this sherbet." Yeah, <laughs> so it's not manly enough. Right? Yeah, so, so he, of all time. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. he he finished it, and they backed right off. You know. Uh-huh. And, uh, anyway, he finishes this little. Thing of sherbet and uh, and he puts it aside and he pulls all these whiskey bottles over and he says, "Okay, now take oh, a picture." But it was so it was great. pretty funny and, and yes. we got a big kick out of that. But that is great. That's just it was a wonderful experience, uh, you know, doing the doing the Academy Awards show. I had a big production number about fifty. That was about fifteen minutes long, and uh, uh, <clears throat> during rehearsals, I thought, you know, man, I think we're going to win this thing. Yeah, and, uh, and and of course we did. It was a great, Good. great night. That's great. Um, tell me about Elvis. I know he covered. Uh, I just can't stop. I can't help believing. But did you ever actually meet him? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I met Elvis. Uh, you know, many times. He was a wonderful guy. Um, 
I don't, you know, I think as we all know that Elvis didn't love every singer, you know. He, yeah. Uh, but he 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 really liked he really liked me. I mean, I, when I yeah. went to went to Graceland, I, my, my albums were in a in a stack in his uh, in his music room. But you know, I, uh, you know, I, I I was so privileged to to meet him and. Uh, he had a certain presence that yeah. uh, that's totally unmatched, and uh, ultimately, it, it, there's a sadness there. Sure. Uh, that I yeah. that I'm always reminded of when I get into get into his stuff. But yeah. uh, he just uh, you know he 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 just left the the all time best record of music that uh, any one guy. Has ever has ever put down, and he's you know, I mean he's yeah. uh, he's the greatest yeah. he's the greatest uh, star personality of all time, and he was, and he was a wonderful guy. Now he treated he treated me really great. He knew all Good. about me when I first met him, and I I had just been, had a had a serious uh, problem in New York City, and had been in the hospital for almost a month. Wow. And uh, he knew yeah. all about it, and uh, yeah, you know he he was he was really great that way. Good. Didn't you? I think I heard somewhere. Did you fill in for him or something in Vegas near the end of his life? Maybe I'm totally saying this wrong. Well, there was some he, crossover yeah. there, right? Yeah. When he when he passed when he passed, uh, I did I I did a uh, he had three shows left and I did a couple of them. Oh, okay. Uh, a very a very uh, man. Uh, uh, I love doing them and 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 be, be able to say that I, that, I, that I did that and I was able to do something uh, you know yeah uh, for him uh, but it, it was a sad uh, there was okay. such a deep sadness there till it, okay. it just stays in my mind you know were the crowds nice to you or were they hostile at all or was it kind oh of no sadness yeah they in were the room? they were okay you know I I, I think everyone was mourning you know. Yeah. And they came in a respectful way, and uh, uh, you know everybody was. You know that's a, that's a good thing about music. You know, you go where I, when I go to work, everybody has come there to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, so the people came, and they they were feeling good, and they, and they were paying their respects to uh, to Elvis Presley, and you know there was just such a good. Uh, a good feeling there. I'm not saying that everybody had the greatest time of their life, sure. but they felt that it, for me and I believe for them there, there was a there was a significance to uh, to what we were doing. We were saying right. goodbye, uh, and and it was a beautiful beautiful thing. I'm glad I got okay. to do it. Good. Um, now I want to talk about the growing pains theme. As long as okay, we got yeah. each other.
How did that happen? And I don't even know. I mean, I watched that show a lot when I was growing up, but was that an existing song that was chosen as the theme song, or did you write it with the intention of it being the theme? How did that no, happen? You know, this is a perfect example of what, what we were talking about the writers uh, a minute ago. I, I was just hanging at the house here, and the phone rang, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it was a guy, guy said, hey, I'm I'm Steve, Steven Dorff, and he said, I'm a songwriter in L.A., and, uh, you know, of course, at first, he said, this is, is this BJ, and can I, have you got a minute? And I said, yeah, uh-huh. sure. And he said, you know, we're out here, we're writing a, a, a theme song for a pilot they're making, uh, and, and he says, the song, we, we really like the song. This the song sounds so much like a B.J. Thomas song that that Ooh. that we have to know. Would you do it? And yeah. and and I said, yeah, I would. I'd love to do it. And they said because if if you if you're not if you won't do it, we've got to change it because it just sounds just like you, you know. Uh-huh. And and uh, I said, yeah, I'll do it. And they said, okay, well, we're going to finish finish it out. And uh, and fit it right to you, and so they they finished it out, and I I flew out to California and did the song for the pilot. Um, I guess the biggest name in the pilot was Alan Thicke, and Alan Thicke right. was kind of at a he was kind of at a lull and a low point right. in his career, and no one really expected anything from yep. it. Uh, but it ran the first night it ran in uh, New York City. Uh, it was the most watched. A TV oh, wow. show that night, and uh, and you know had really what about a ten or twelve year year yeah. run, and I did a couple of versions of it. I did the one version with uh, was was just solo for a number of years, and I did a version with uh, Jennifer Warrens, yeah. which was a good one, and then ultimately I did a version with uh, Dusty Springfield, uh, and that was and, you know she's she's an incredible singer, and then they yeah. kind of went back solo. Before uh, the solo version, before they finished their okay. run, but, you know, did you record yeah, in the same room? Do they? Huh? Yeah. Um, did you record in the same room with Jennifer and Dusty, or were you? Did yeah. you do it separately? You did. No, oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. I think there were a few overdubs that we did separately, but uh, yeah, okay. it was great. It was great singing with them, and uh, just you know, incredible. Now, Dusty at that time was also kind of at a lull, even though she had put out some legendary stuff before, and I think yeah. since been considered a legend. But during that 80s period, she, it was kind of rough. What was she like? And she was, she, well, you know, I had, met, I had met her before, years before in uh, Memphis. She, I was at, I used to, you know, man, that that, that whole Memphis studio, all those musicians, we were so close yeah. that I hung out there all the time. And, and, and one night, uh, Dusty came in with a, you know, with a few guys, her representatives, managers, or whatever, she came in to uh, meet uh, Chips Moman, the guy that produced mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of stuff, and meet the band. And uh, she was really nervous and uh, and jumpy. And and uh, and I, when I met her, I said, "Look, Dusty, I said you you can relax because uh, you're about to cut cut some big records because these guys are going to do a wonderful wow. job for you. They're the best. You know, of course they." They cut uh, "Son of a Preacher Man" and and uh, oh yeah, and well, various... that whole in Memphis album is one of the greatest ever. Oh man, come and on! And you were yeah. there around that time. That's crazy. Yeah, I was just happened to be in town when she came by the studio, 
I never, I didn't make it to any of her recording sessions because I think I went out. You know, back in those days, I'd go out for months at a time. Sure, sure. Uh, but she was, uh, you know, I I knew all about her and had loved her for wow. years, and I could see she was nervous, and I tried to I tried to calm her down a little bit. But, yeah, you know, just yeah. relax because you you definitely are in the right place. Good, good. Um, so I'm curious, you know, you've been at this for 50 years, and over that time. <laughs> This uh, this music industry has just completely changed. It barely barely even exists, probably compared to what you grew up in. You know, I'm oh, curious absolutely. what you miss most when you look back at, and maybe you know, as most people say, there's pros and cons to the way things are. The yeah. ability to kind of self promote <laughs> and interact yeah. directly with fans is so much better now. But uh, those days of big per diems and recording budgets and all that yeah. kind of stuff being gone is tough. What's the thing that you miss the most about the glory days of being in the record industry? Well, if I had to name one thing, it would be uh, the radio. Uh, and yeah. I realize now that, that, that it's so different now that the Internet, uh, you know, online stuff uh, has made a whole different ball game. But for years and years uh, – uh, radio has been uh, just big uh, corporate ownerships of many stations, and all the stations will play uh, are hit records. So, you know, back in my time, uh, uh, it, you, you always felt like if you cut a good song, it yeah. would find it, it, it would find its way, and uh, uh, you know because you could go to your there was your local station and. And they might play your record for a, a week or so, even if they didn't like it, you know, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because you were local or whatever. But the stations had a freedom to play individual disc jockeys and program directors. They had the freedom to play what what they wanted to. And yeah. uh, and now, you know, I think that they've got thirty records they can play, and and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of right before they now now it's a whole different ball game too because it's all it's all gone online and and there right. are some great benefits from that because I, you know I can go right now and download the you know the mm-hmm. my my favorite album by my my, my favorite group or, or whatever so there yeah. are a lot of great benefits to it but uh, I think a lot of music goes missing mm-hmm. um because you know it takes just just to have a record out now it would take a, you know a, at least a million dollars to let every to let the country know, to yeah. the nation know that you had a record out. You know, right, right. Uh, it's not going to find its way unless unless everybody. You know, you've got to let every everyone know. And yeah. uh, you know, you have, when McCartney comes out with a, uh, an album or right. James Taylor comes out with an album, you don't hear it. I never hear. I never hear it. It still goes yeah. number one, top ten, because. Right. They had these the huge following, but yeah. uh, you don't hear it because they're busy. Very they're cool. they're playing other stuff. And I got yeah. a lot of respect and uh, for uh, hip hop, rap music. I mm-hmm. I like a lot of it, and uh, it's all cool. But uh, mm-hmm. you know the different genres of music, um, you, you just don't hear that in, in any one place yeah. uh, anymore. But you That's know true. it. You do have the online thing, so you can go there and find anything. So it's just, it's just different now. Yeah, it sure is. I'm curious what motivates you these days to put out new albums. I think your last one was 
the living room sessions from about five yeah. years ago. And you had all these great people in there, Kev Mo, Kev Mo and Richard Marks and all these it's guests on that album, which is great. It's reinterpreting your old hits. And the feeling just got right for a brand new love song. Somebody done somebody wrong song. Hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song and make me feel at home while I miss my baby while I miss my baby so play play for me a sad melody so sad that it makes everybody cry A real hurting song About love that's gone wrong Cause I don't wanna cry all alone Hey! And it sounds like now you're gonna do a Howl David and Burt Bacharach album too. Is maybe... Maybe that's where it's at for a, a legacy artist like you who have, who have this huge stable of hits that you can play. Um, maybe the motivation to you know, find new hits or write new songs or get with new writers and stuff yeah. isn't as strong. Maybe a reinterpretation of your history is the better move business-wise these days. Well, I think, I think the new – I agree with you. I think the new, uh, the new music, at least for me, is something that is, is kind of – really making me and pushing me uh and I, and I am writing as we speak sure. if i if i get some good new stuff i i sh- i'm gonna have to write it you know yeah uh but i we were always against re-recording our our material and uh they anyway they these are people we know in nashville and they sure. and they came up with the concept of Let's do it acoustically, and we'll bring it. Anyway, they made it interesting, and we did it, and we we really enjoyed uh, doing that. You know, when you've been in the business uh, for a while, you know that the, the music, and, and I guess you everything across the board, but I'm just speaking for music, it's always about who, the new guy. Yeah. it's a, it, There's always someone coming along which is you know thank goodness because that's what yeah. keeps american music so good and probably mu- music across our across the world so good yeah. is it, it never just it's just with one guy you know forever you have your time and there's always another kind of music or different instruments or another you know software or whatever they've come up with right. different ways to do it and that's always going to happen so you know uh, if you've been around as long as I have, you, you know you accept that, and that, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know it, that whole online thing and the streaming thing, and uh, that's just that's just good. That and that's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. been a very a real boon to music, you know. Yeah, I'm at um, peace. I'm at peace with it, man. <laughs> okay, good. That's what I wanted to know because I think I think um, you know current technology favors fans. It's obviously easier for us to listen to and get our hands on all the music that we love. Yeah. But it eats up 
the careers of those people in the process, and um, which is you know it's terrible. So that's well, uh, we still you know we still have our have have our chance. You know, it, 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 it's all in the PR now. But if you let enough people know, yeah, um, uh, you can you can still be very successful online and get an, get enough downloads to really feel like you've had a successful good okay uh, successful album. Good. So okay. you know it's this is a great this is a great business because it, the music is very healing. I mean even to the yeah. to the to, you know even the angry music and the music that's all full of angst and yeah. and whatever it, it there is a healing quality to to music and um, you know, we're you know we're you and I we're lucky to be a part a part of it because it's it's done us a lot of good over the years. Yeah. I know. I agree. Well, we're almost done, but I wanted to know, um, you're one of the 50, top 50 most played artists in Billboard's history. <laughs> and ta- considering that and everything we just talked about, um, I'm curious if there has ever been, over the course of this long, huge career of yours, if there were ever sort of lean times. You've had some really high highs, the, most of the songs we just got done talking about. Oh, Were there actually, ever any kind of low lows that you sort of had to, you know, power through to get you oh, know, yeah. to the next? What really? What were they? What brought those you know, on? How did been, you survive? There have been, yeah, there have been many, many, many uh, uh, low times. Uh, I've had a very dramatic life. My, my, Gloria and I, and you know, we've had so many highs it's it's the high times is it's ridiculous we've been yeah. very lucky but i've been you know man when i when i had i had a number one record with uh, somebody had done somebody wrong song and i was flat broke oh. and uh uh because you know because i was at such a low point with my drug and alcohol use that right. I, I i i couldn't perform and uh i you know i was just i was just there you know yeah. Uh, uh, and, no, and nothing was happening. I had I had many lows in that way. You know, the music music is cyclical. It, it, it's, yeah. it moves up and down, and uh, you know you can be real hot and then you you can be cold for a while. But uh, that's just the way it goes. You just always a good song from. Uh, uh, this is probably the only period that I've ever known over the last oh gosh pretty pretty good stretch of years. Where uh, a really good song is doesn't do you that much good yeah. if that's yeah. all you if that's all you have because True. you you've got to have huge PR yeah. and you you've got to you've got to reach people they're they're harder to reach now and the, you know there's there's a few more of them than than yeah. there were in the sixties right so and and it. Uh, so you know, times change and they and yeah. they affect they affect things. But you know, like uh, we weathered, you know, whatever came our way, we we did the best we could, and Good. we okay. and we weathered, you know, everything. We got through everything. Uh, you know, I got through my drug and alcoholism. I'm still alive. And Good. Uh, uh, how long? Have you know, you been a lot of people didn't make. A lot of people didn't make it. You know. Yeah. Oh, for sure. What, what'd you so say? Many. Well, I asked you how long you had been clean, if you don't, if that's okay for me to ask. Oh well, you know, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I finally got it wrapped up uh, with the twelve step program. Uh, 
and of course that's that's uh, all about an, being being anonymous. So I, mm-hmm. I can't really go uh-huh. go deeper than that. But I I've been sober a, lo- a long time, and Good. it's uh, and that's also a cyclical thing. Yeah. You know, you have to go through your relapses and your sure. and your things, and uh, you just you have to just deal. With, hey, it's we only we only got today, so we yeah. Let's get let's get through today as as best we can, and then we'll Good. see what happens tomorrow. Okay. Good. Well, I'm happy for you. Um, oh, oh, one you. other thing I wanted to ask you about. I've had um, other people on here who have sang theme songs to TV shows, and it uh, it gives them some really good mailbox money. Was that oh, your yeah. experience when you were? Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's been it's been a beautiful thing, and and plus, as I, I mentioned before, you know they they are paying now for uh, vocal performances not yeah. just not just the writer so it you know it's it's getting right there 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 is a writers basically are getting the same royalty they got you know a hundred years ago so that uh-huh. that that needs to be uh corrected at at some time you know but and it, the 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 whole thing about uh royalties and things like that they only come like pennies at a time mm-hmm. so so you you know that people might download you, you've got to be careful with that because you know the pennies add up very slowly yeah and if yeah. you start if you start losing pennies in various places then it it really hurts the writers and uh, and the singers and uh, but you know all has been good in that area we yeah. have great people that we do business with and and that that money is uh, very very good, and we're nice. just like you know we're very fortunate. Good. And the show's still syndicated, so I'm guessing you still get those pennies whenever that show goes on. It's on the air even today. Well, you bet. <laughs> good. Good for you, man. You deserve and, it. You know that that song probably, uh, in a worldwide sense, has got as much much play as uh, as raindrops. Yeah. That's That's raindrops got so it, it, it was a, that was a beautiful thing. Good. Well, I'm glad you deserve it. Uh, okay, I want to know. We're going to close it out with this. I usually ask people the same couple of questions near the end. I sure. want to know if you have any regrets. If there's any decision that you made along the way that maybe you wish you hadn't, that because it kind of caused things to sort of bounce the wrong direction. And then yeah. I want to know what your favorite memory is when you look back over 50 years and you think, I can't believe this one thing happened to me. And maybe that was hearing yourself yeah. on the radio or meeting a hero or the yeah. fact you did, you played a big show last night, 50 years in, whatever it is, what is it? Yeah. Well, I can first of all tell you that my greatest memory is of, uh, uh, you know, if I had never had a hit record mm-hmm. or any kind of rec- uh, success in music, I would have still had a wonderful life because uh, I've had this, uh, you know, Gloria and I are going to be – uh, get our 50th year of marriage this this year, and you know we have uh, three beautiful. We have a great family, and grand, yeah. grandkids, and 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 the whole. The, and that's what it's all about. Because after all, I, you know the the recording and singing thing. That's that's what I do. But mm-hmm. and I try to put it uh, who I am in there. But but who I am really is uh, you know I'm a father, a husband. Yeah. Uh, uh, grandfather, um, I'm just a human being. So my, you know, we've weathered. We've got, yes, as we said, we've got to this point, and it's been, it's been a great uh, journey, and we, yeah. and we have a great life, you know. Good. Uh, 
but uh, what was the other? What was it? <laughs> uh, if you had any regrets. Oh if there was man, you regret it. Man, I tell you, I have so many oh, regrets. Really? Oh yeah, I mean, I don't think he can get through. Um, I mean, I, I I know that on the on the road I took, I I, I took the long way home, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. On the road I took, there are many many regrets there uh, that you know. I wish I could go back and mm-hmm. and and get through in a better sense, but then that's. I think we all should try to remember that that uh, you know this this moment that we that we have uh, right now is is the most important moment. Yeah. And and you and uh, you know I, I I I was kind of altered in my in my alcoholism and. And certain things, and so you know, a lot of times I didn't do the right thing, and uh, and uh, I, I I had to survive that. So there are, there are lots of regrets, uh, yeah. none, you know, none that that are killing me, because right. you know I've lived through them. I've, I've you know you know I haven't had a drink since I was thirty three, and I'm fixed to be seventy six. So nice, good for so, you. So you know, so I mean, I, not not that not that. You know, some people can drink, and it's fine. You know, some yeah. people can't. And, uh, so, you know, I, 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 I've tried to correct my ways and to uh, make amends where where I needed to. And uh, so, even though uh, though there are regrets there, there I, there are very few that I that I haven't been able to uh, go back and rectify in some okay. sense. So, you know, I've been. Fortunate in that too. Good. There was another question, but I forgot it. No, I think that's it. You oh, a decision. It. Yeah. I remember when the guy came to me. I was working with this with this guy and on um, on some music, and he came to me and he said, I, "Look, I want you to sing the uh, theme song for the Democratic uh, National Convention. Oh. It was going to be in, the, and it was called, uh, you know, Together We Stand, Divided We Fall. You know." Mm-hmm. Uh, Divided, I forget the melody, but I said no, I'm not political, uh-huh. uh, and I, and I turned it down. Of course, it it, it became a number one record, but that's uh-huh. one of the one of the few few <laughs> things. Uh, musically, I mean, it's not it's not really that important. You don't you can't have every hit record. Sure. And and guys from my generation, we have a great admiration for the other other guys because back in my time, everybody you know was so different. Whereas now it's almost like people are trying to be the same in some genres. Yeah, so, yeah. So you know, it's it, it all works out. It all works out good. <laughs> good. Well, good. I'm glad. I um, I love you a lot, BJ. It's been a real wonderful experience discovering you and your music over and over again these last I don't know ten or fifteen years of my life. And uh, there's Thank just you. so much good stuff in there. And I really just thought, I bet BJ has some great stories. I want to hear them. And so I'm really, really grateful <laughs> that you talked to me. Well, thank you, John. I'll tell you, I really have enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, thanks to you and the people that are listening and are getting into this thing that keep me around all this time. I sure appreciate it. And, cool. Uh, and uh, thank you. You've been great. You bet. It's been very well, interesting you. and a lot of fun. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Uh, to take us out, tell me one song of yours that you are especially proud of that people probably don't know. Because we're going to play something here at the end um, to take us out. I'm curious what that might be. If there was some song you wanted people to hear. Well, there 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 is a song, but I, I don't know if it would be 
that fitting for the for the oh. end of end of your show. But it it it, uh, it was a song that was written uh, that I recorded with Jimmy Webb. Oh, it was nice. uh, it was called a song for my brother. It was just me and Jimmy. Uh, of course, I was singing; he just was playing the piano. But it's a beautiful song, and and uh, that may be the the one song that that uh, okay. it doesn't it doesn't have the most significance because I can't I I go you know I go back to lonesome you know I'm so lonesome it's, it's yeah. such a connection with my dad and my family and my first record and yada yada you know so mm-hmm. but that that was a very uh, beautiful experience that I had with uh, Jimmy and well, he's uh, a legend too. And That's people great. probably have never heard it. Now, I used to do it live, and maybe I'll start doing it again. Okay. Well, we'll play it right here. That's why <laughs> I asked. There you have it, B.J. Thomas. That guy's a legend. I am so grateful that he talked to me. And I just think it's, if you hadn't thought about B.J. or haven't listened to B.J. in a while, I hope that this sort of inspired you to just just thinking about all of the great music that he's put out there and for and for so long you know anyway i think he's really special and i'm really grateful that he talked to me and i hope you guys enjoyed this conversation because i really really did uh now next week next week's gonna be interesting we're talking to a woman who is not only a recording artist in fact wait till you she only put out a couple albums in the late 70s uh, and wait till you find out who her backing band was on those albums. She was also an actress. She was also a publicist. And she was a groupie. And she wrote a book about it. And we talk about all those things in detail. Now, it's uh, it's sort of explicit. I mean, it's not gratuitous or, uh, you know, too dirty or candid. But it is uh, open and honest and out there. So I hope you will come back and uh, listen to that conversation next week, next Tuesday. Uh, Huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Jan, the man, Makiewicz. Thank you, buddy, for doing this with me. And uh, you guys know by now, you can please write us a review in iTunes. We haven't had one in a couple of weeks. But uh, please do that. Find us on Facebook. Like our page. Uh, We put out new episodes every Tuesday. Go back into the archives if you're new and see if you like other older episodes, too. We've done over 200 of these now and uh, we chances are pretty good we've talked to some people that you really love you can send us an email at the at gmail.com or you can find us on twitter at the hustle pod all right thanks everybody we will talk to you next tuesday and yes i guess i've done some bad i've sung my song You know, sometimes I swear I think I've gone completely mad If the story of my life ever makes you sad Remember when we were chasing after wooden air.
That was the finest time I've ever had Yes, I believe That was the finest time I've ever had